Okay. All right. So here we are. We're in our last lesson on principles of parenting. And we have a fair amount of material to cover today. So here's kind of my game plan for how to handle our time. Um, I want to talk for a few minutes about this um, family mission statement project and see, get your feedback on it. Then we're going to try to finish the discipline um, lesson and we'll try and reserve some time at the end for questions. The questions that you guys gave us in the surveys were really good. So we'll try to answer as many of those as we can with the time uh, that we're left. So we'll try to leave a little bit of time there at the end. So um, any thoughts on the um, on this project of the family mission statement? Was it useful? Did it generate any conversation? Too hokey? Okay. Well, that's good. That's really, that was really the intent of it more than, you know, this finished product that's, you know, like incredible or something. Any other thoughts? So this is not an original idea of mine. This, this is something that um, we were challenged to do at a family camp at the wilds, probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago, probably, probably north of 20. And I, I felt like the benefit of it was really the process of talking through it more than, you know, this guiding light for our family forever. But I want to share with you what we came up with. Oh, this is the, this is the wrong set of slides. I'm sorry. Looking for EF4B, I think it is. Okay. All right. You know what? We're just going to ignore this today because I can't change it from here. Um, so now I'm going to have to try to remember what our family mission statement is. <laughs> um, can you help me out? <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's, it's really not that big a deal. So, so essentially our, our family mission statement was we want to glorify God in our families by, um, you have it there? I just read it then. That'd be better than me trying to mutilate it. We want our family to be <clears throat> mature believers, guided by scripture, and desiring to please God as faithful servants whenever, wherever. We get that one. Wherever. Yeah, the wherever. And yeah. however, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that wherever part has generated a lot of conversation in the last 10 years, probably, as our kids have kind of dispersed to the wind. But um, anyway, so I hope that was helpful. Um, but let's let's just move on to. The lesson. So last week we talked about biblical motives for discipline, and we gotten as far as um, unbiblical methods. And so this week we want to talk about biblical methods. And so let's turn first to, to Proverbs 13. We have a few verses to cover from the book of Proverbs today. We had talked a little bit already about Proverbs 13:24, um, but we will address it again. Um, Sometimes we refer to spanking as corporal punishment, that is the discipline of the body. Um, Proverbs 13, 24 addresses this and says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. We talked about it from a, a motive standpoint, and the motive being love for our child rather than hate for the child, but we also see the a little bit of procedure here discipline is mentioned as being as involving corporal punishment the rod is the instrument 
of punishment. And we 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 talked further about how um, if we if our if we love our children, then we're going to be willing to do something as extreme as spanking them to get their attention and help them change their behavior and attitudes. Let's look at Proverbs 22.15. Someone read that for us. That core of volunteering. Yeah, shame. It's bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod is so this, this verse, I think, is, is especially pertinent because it ties together a concept that we talked about way at the beginning of the series, and that is the main problem in parenting is fundamentally the heart. And the heart of the child is the focus here. We talked about the heart of the parent being a problem also, but the simple heart of the child is a problem. What is it? What is the problem? What is the specific problem in the heart of this child? Folly. So what, what is folly? So folly is a foolishness. It is a, in this verse, it is a kind of a determined foolishness. It's a foolishness that um, manifests itself through foolish talk, foolish behavior, foolish attitudes and actions. Um, this is different from childishness. So that being, you know, a child being clumsy. This is the actions of, and one commentator said, an arrogant, flippant, hardened fool. And so this verse is saying that that spanking, corporal punishment is necessary to, to get that out of the child's heart. The focus is on, on the heart. So let's take a little example here that we can unpack. So little Lucy is the baby of the family and she's assumed the role of family clown. So that's kind of like what the youngest does a lot of times because there's lots of audience to laugh at them. So she loves to make her parents and siblings laugh and sometimes she tries too hard. One morning at breakfast, she's on a roll and she's making faces, playing with her oatmeal, but then she inadvertently knocks the bowl off the table, breaking the bowl and covering the family dog with oatmeal. Okay, so what's going on here? What's your diagnosis? She's having fun, right? Right, so there's some childishness going on here, um, but this is not the kind of rebellious foolishness that this verse is talking about. So if if you're the if you're Lucy's parent, you know what's your reaction to this? Okay. So what would you say? Just take that a step further. I would just probably explain, you know, it's okay, have fun, but the thing would really Okay. All right, good. So some instruction about, you know, so that this doesn't happen in the future, kind of thing. Yeah. All right, good. This is the first time well, that's a great that's a great question. That's a great question. I love I left out a lot of facts so that we could tease out these nuances, and I, I think that's a really important thing. So if let's so let's, let's add to the facts a little bit, and let's say that this is something that has occurred weekly, not daily, but weekly. So you're like running out of bowls. Now, what do you think? Okay, so you're making an assumption when you say that, and that assumption is that the instruction has already happened, right? right? So you haven't just tolerated this behavior week after week after week. You've given the instruction, and it's like, okay, this is this has become at some point it's crossed a line from just simple childish carelessness 
to a disobedience issue because she's failed to heed the instruction. So I can imagine a situation in which, you know, week one, it's Shane's instruction. Week two, what happens? The instruction again, maybe a little bit more pointed. Okay, so there's some consequence here. If she's old enough to clean it up, then then maybe you know she cleans it up. She has to wash the dog. <laughs> okay, all right. What you can't else? Can't do that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, so I I think it instruction goes to warning. So see the difference. So it's like instruction. This is a time to eat. This is not a time to play. And then it goes to, you've done this multiple times. You need to stop doing this. If you don't stop doing this, I'm giving you a warning that this will have consequences. And those consequences will be, okay, you lay that out. So that is like level two of, of instruction. Then at some point, if she is not obeying the instruction, that it becomes a discipline event and it becomes somewhere um, where um, the, the child is being directly disobedient. But notice the focus on of this verse on the heart. What is Lucy's heart in this example? Go back to the original example without the week, week by week um, layering. What's her heart at this point? She wants attention. That's right. She loves the applause. It's like, yeah, give me more of that. That is awesome. I love it when people are, are laughing at what I do. So what, what is the, let's just drill down into that heart a little further. Okay, so she wants attention. Where, what is that attention getting desire driven by? I'm getting some quizzical looks. So, so it's, it's pride. So thank you. So <laughs> my question wasn't very well worded. So pride is what's going on here. I mean, we all have it. And pride comes out in different ways in different people. So part of Lucy's pride is, I am funny. And I want everyone to give me that funny feedback and make sure that everyone knows that I am funny. And she's willing to, you know, walk that line between carelessness and foolishness in order to get there. So... Discipline needs to aim at the sinful heart. And in the moments of those broken bowls of oatmeal, it's difficult to step back from that and think about it. And so this is something we have to like train ourselves to do. And we have to battle our own sinful hearts because my sinful heart in that situation is saying, I can't believe I got to clean this up. I am like late for work, I'm late for church or whatever. And it's like, this is the last thing I need. You do this all the time. And I'm like in reaction mode. But that's not helpful for the child, and that's not helpful for us, because those things that I just laid out that my, my mind and heart is thinking is my own selfishness. And so we have to be like, we have to be walking in the spirit as we're parenting in order to make this work, in order to pull this off. The focus of this verse really is that the depravity of the child's heart necessitates rescue from his own rebellion. The child needs rescue. The child needs to have that cleansed from him. The rod is the implement of the rescue. It helps the child place himself under the parent's authority. That's where we're trying to get the child back to.
Let's go to Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Just a chapter away. Someone read those two verses for us, 23, 13, and 14. Yes, yeah, thanks. Do not withhold this opinion from his house. If he says him of a God, he will not die. If he says him of a God, he will save his faith in his life. All right, thank you. So we, we've seen enough verses now to know that corporal punishment, what we call spanking, is clearly endorsed by scripture as an appropriate method of disciplining a child. This verse has some interesting aspects to it. And I'm going to ask you a trick question. So I'm going to tell you up front that it's a trick question. All right. The trick question is what is the danger of discipline that's being identified in these verses? What danger is being identified? Yeah, that's right. So we, if we have a risk of life or death, that's a pretty big danger, right? What's the implication of the verse then? I think it's talking about physical death. Well, in the Old Testament economy, a rebellious child was under the death penalty. I mean, it's pretty, pretty severe. Spiritual death could be in view too. I hadn't really thought about that. Save is, well, shield is another word for the grave is where I was going with that. But it does say soul. It's a good question. I didn't really think it through. Thank you. Yeah. So the implication here is that withholding discipline is actually part of the danger. The withholding of discipline exposes the child to this penalty of death because they are not, they are not being ruled. They're not putting themselves under the authority of the parent. So they are being trained to rebel. If they are trained to rebel, it's going to result in, under the Mosaic law, a risk of death to the child. Translate that in the spiritual realm. If the child is being trained to rebel against authority, then ultimately, what is the safeguard about that, that, that prevents them from rebelling against their ultimate authority, God, our Father, and putting their soul at risk from eternal death? The danger that is not identified, that the world would identify today, I think, is injury to the child. So I think there is an imp another implication here. I don't think I'm reading too much into this to say that the way that we administer corporal punishment or spanking cannot put the child in physical danger. The way that we do that must not cross the line from application of discipline to child abuse. And we're going to have, a, you know, we're going to, you know, the world would say that, well, spanking is per se child abuse. That is, that means spanking is automatically child abuse. The Bible doesn't say that. Where it crosses the line is when we administer it out of our self, selfish, sinful hearts, and it is unrestrained. It is done in a way that is harmful to the child. So... If the physical discipline saves a child from the grave, then the physical discipline cannot be so severe as to cause bodily harm to the child. You see where I'm going with that? We have to be careful with that. So discipline cannot be an avenue to vent anger. Parent, the parent has to be in control of themselves to, in order to spank properly. 
if you have a discipline event and you have enough self-awareness to realize that you are not in control, then you are not ready to discipline. You need to discipline yourself first before the Lord and present yourself to him and get it straightened out before going and taking care of the child's problem. One of the questions we had is related to timing is between timing of the discipline event and when discipline actually happened. And like the, the that was the broader question, the more specific question is, you know, dad's away at work, discipline event happens, should mom discipline right then? Or should she say, wait till your father picks up? I'm gonna say it depends. So it's a bit of a cop-out answer, I know. But part of it depends on what the event was and its severity. I think part of it depends on the age of the child. So the younger the child, the less of able they are to connect cause and effect timing. And so the younger the child, I think the more immediate the timing needs to be so that they get the point as the child gets older and perhaps the events become a little bit more um, not severe, perhaps. It's not just, you know, disobeying by knocking your bowl of oatmeal. It's, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, you know, taking the family car out for a joyride and you've been told not to drive it. Okay, that, there's some serious consequences that go with that, right? And so there's there's a there's kind of a scale there, I think, that we need to need to work with. So the focus in the spanking, the focus on on corporal punishment needs to be on the training of character, not on retribution. You're gonna get what you deserve, kid. That is not the point of discipline. This is not about us. This is about the training of the character of the child. So spanking as a part of discipline is necessary for child's development and ultimate well-being, but it can never be applied in anger or frustration. All right. Um, Proverbs 29.15 is another uh, verse. It says, the rod and the reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So biblical discipline is meant to give wisdom. It is something that we are seeking. All right. We're going to move along to the role of communication. Now, I would, I would say, after I spent a month or so in the book of Proverbs, just really looking at parenting verses this summer, and I would say that there are many more verses about communication with children than there are about physical discipline of children, which I hadn't really stopped to think about before doing the study. And I don't know if you could say from the weight of that evidence that that means that communication is more important. I think they need to go hand in hand. I think when we administer corporal punishment, communication is a very important part of that. Um, some of these books that we've been recommended have you know, kind of like step-by-step -step procedure for it and they really give some good ideas, but certainly helping the child understand what they did that was wrong, understand your responsibility before God to administer discipline on the front end, and then on the back end, making sure you're communicating love and instruction and, um, and acceptance. And the fact that the, you know, once the discipline has occurred, the event is done. It's not gonna be dredged back up and thrown in their face. This is something that has to be communicated well to the child. Um, communication, this first sub point, communication requires listening to instruction. 
I was struck in Proverbs by the number of verses that started with my son. This happened, I think it was about 20 times. I didn't, I didn't bring my list. I made a separate list. Um, but he would say, my son, we'd like get the attention of the child. And then he would proceed to give them instruction. Sometimes it was a very specific topic, like in um, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, dangers of immorality. He calls out his son and he really is very pointed in telling his son about this danger. He gives him an example and it's some really good teaching that he did with his son, communication. Other times it was like, my son, be aware of this. And it'd be this laundry list of disconnected things, apparently disconnected things that, that they he was trying to teach his son. I would say that as our children get older, communication becomes more and more important. We need to keep talking to them. I've, I found personally this to be pretty challenging because I'm not a person who uses a lot of words. And when I go to work, I tend to use them up and I come home and I don't have any words left. <laughs> and my wife is like, she's ready to talk you know, because she's been home with the little kids all day or whatever. And I'm like, I'm exhausted. There was, we had a question about you know, what, what do you do when you're like at the end of yourself? You know, you, you've used up all those words and you're tired and you come home. How do you, you know, recharge that? And uh, I think that's a great practical question. Um, Lisa and I were talking about it on the way down to to, um, to church this morning. I think part of it is we have a responsibility to recharge ourselves in God's word. And that's something we need to be doing. That doesn't always address the physical problem, but it certainly can help us put it in the right mindset reminding ourselves of the importance of this job that we're doing and raising our children and the responsibility that we have before him. Um, I think part of it is saving some words, in my case, saving some energy for the family, for your wife, for, um, for your husband, for the kids. Um, for me, I work in Manchester, live in Pelham, had about a 30-minute commute. That gave me a fair amount of time to like leave work at work and so when I get home, it wasn't, I wasn't preoccupied with it and I don't have a really great memory. So that helped help too. <laughs> but I think we, we had friends that um, the, the wife said of the husband, he was great because he would come home and when he closed the door at the house, work was behind him and he was all about the family. And it's like, wow, I don't, I don't know that I could say that about myself. I wish I could, but that's really hard. So I've been talking from the dad's point of view what about the moms? So how does a mom do that? Particularly stay-at-home moms or homeschooling moms where your kids are like right on top of you all the time. Yeah, John. That's a great idea. So, so continuing that, you know, that so not losing the, the benefit of the nap time. That's great. That's a great practical solution. Yeah, Bonnie. Yeah. 
Yeah, rolling out of bed into chaos is just like a disaster waiting to happen, isn't it? Yeah, that's great. Any other thoughts? I'd like to share a story. It has to do with communication and children. Just in my own and my mother was a primary disciplinarian and, and uh, she was quick to, to spank, you know, as soon as something happened. And uh, usually it, it would hurt a lot, you know. But I remember one particular event, we were at the kitchen table on a Friday night story week. We had these weird chairs that had some kind of covering on them and like some kind of puppy stuff inside. And for some reason, I had turned around as a little kid and I was poking it with my fork. And my father said, <laughs> my father said, don't you dare. And and I was like, <laughs> and I just poked the fork through the, through the thing. <laughs> and, 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 and my dad calmly got up and he took me back to the, the back room. Now, my mother would have just spanked me the whole way to the room, but my father took me back to the back room and he sat me down and he had a conversation with me hmm. about what I had done and why it was wrong and that it was direct disobedience and all this stuff. And and then he he put me across his lap and he was going to paddle me, basically. And I remember that my dad was a repairman. He was a, a, a mechanic in the uh, sorry, an uh, electrician and repairman in the coal mine. He was a very strong dude. And mm-hmm. and uh, so I thought, oh no, this is going to be the worst spanking of my life. But I remember when he spanked me, it, it, it was way less than what my mother, the, 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 you know, what my mother would have done. And I thought, as a ch- even as a child, I thought, that's because dad loves me. And also, I need to communicate with dad that I get it. So I tr- I tried you know I tried to cry I, I cried and 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 to try to you know I, I tried to try to give communicate back with my father that he had done the job correctly right that I that I had gotten the idea and that and that he didn't really need to hurt me for for it to work you know what I mean yeah. so I, I, I and I I just have this I mean that was a very young memory for me I, and I remember that as a child thinking that. I even got the communication part that that it was important that he understood what had yeah. happened, and that and that was also important that I communicate back with him that it, that it worked. That's good. So I that's good. That interesting Any thing. idea how old you were? Do you remember? Like I was, I was old enough. I, I I was old enough to be able to like sit in a chair in my knees and my my, my okay. torso not be above the okay. Chair. So pretty young child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty little. Well, obviously, it made an impression on you right? to yeah. remember something from that small. That's really good. I, I think the whole communication thing, you know, is I, that's an excellent illustration of how important it is at a young age. And we shouldn't assume that just because they're young, they're not going to understand. That's why I they, they may understand more than we think they are. You know, some, some people have the opposite problem that I do of using too, too few words, and they use too many words. And who was it that? The kid said to the, the, the father, just spank me already. <laughs> yeah, I forget who it was. Some, some, okay, all right. Oh, all right, all right. So so there's there's an opposite danger. So we have to we have to work with that. I remember when our oldest turned 13 and he was he was having some attitudes and I was not dealing with things well. Um, and he was like constantly frustrated with me. And he um, he would just clam up and you know storm off and and it's like, okay, what do I do now? So eventually I sat, we, I sat down with him and I said, listen, you've never been a teenager before and I've never been a parent of a teenager before. So this is new to both of us. So let's just keep talking. And if you have something that you're frustrated with, tell me about it and we can talk through it. And, and hopefully we can you know, find a way to do it. And 
that maybe this is just me, but it seemed to relieve some tension that was in the room, take some of the pressure off. You know, it was a little pressure relief valve, and it helped us develop some some better communication. Not that it was perfect after that by any means, but it, it just that little piece of communication saying, "I'm trying to communicate here. I realize that I'm not the best at it." That that I think seemed to help with things. But that was that's a very kid specific. Thing. So that kid needed that communication at that time. So communication, next sub point, requires adaptability to the, to the situation. I wish we had time to really explore this verse, but the verse I give you here is not a parenting verse. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Pastor John has exposited this for us in the past. And it says, and we urge you brothers, so it's speaking in the church context, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So it gives a different action for different people that are in different needs. And so that I think is could be really applied to our parenting situation. So maybe we take one example on this. Um, so dad tells 10-year-old Luke to clean the garage before going out to play with his friends. Luke lays around the house all Saturday morning watching cartoons and doesn't do it. So our diagnosis is Disobedience. You didn't do what you were supposed to do, 10-year-old Luke. So the question is, why did he disobey and what is the condition of his heart? There's a lot of different aspects to this. And I, again, one of those examples that I haven't given you enough facts to really know. But here's a couple possibilities. This could be just direct rebellion, direct disobedience. You can't tell me what to do. I refuse. That needs discipline. That needs to be addressed very directly from a correction standpoint. It could be partially ignorance. I don't know how to clean the garage. And, and all of us fathers roll our eyes, right? It's like, come on, how hard is this? You get up room and you sweep it out. I mean, what is expected? So the, the person who doesn't have the information needs instruction. He needs to be told how to do it. It could be laziness. I'm tired from school all week. I want to watch TV. Well, he needs a warning that, listen, you can't be lazy in doing this. Now, here we have lazy that may be tied into direct disobedience. It may be the reason disobedience has happened. So we need to be aware of what's going on in that. Another might be um, discouraged or fearful. I'm afraid there will be spiders in there. Right? Okay, 10-year-old Luke, you need to like just like take care of the spiders. You know, I mean, that's how that's how I react to it. But he may need some encouragement. He may need an infusion of courage. That's an interesting point. Did they get distracted and like kind of forget or not just yeah. play in time? Right. right? They just got yeah. they got sucked into binge watching the cartoons and like where's the time go? Where's the time go? All of a sudden it's like the morning's gone. Yeah, it could be. Or it could be that the child is just weak and they're like, I can't lift the boxes and put them back on the shelves. And so he needs help. Now those aren't excuses for not obeying. And, but understanding the dimension of it will 
will dictate how the correction occurs and the instruction that needs to happen as well. The book that we've referred to a number of times, Shepherding a Child's Heart, has a, a chapter on this and goes through lots of different um, types of communication. I, I would really commit it to you. And then the last subpoint is communication is facilitated by questions. Um, so conversation isn't always a lecture. That's kind of my default setting. It's like something goes wrong, I start lecturing. You know, it's like, well, this is what needs to happen. Boom, 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 you know, three-point outline. That's, that's not going to be the best thing to do. And as the child gets older, it needs to shift more from declarative sentences, you will do this, to more dialogue and having a conversation about things. One of the best ways, I think, to create dialogue and a great way to get a glimpse of what's going on in you know, little Luke's heart as to why he didn't clean the garage is to ask questions. And I think one, one question that we always ask is why? And the younger the child is, the less equipped they are to answer the why question. Because what are they going to say? You know, when you say, why did you hit your sister? I don't know. And you know what? They may not. They may not be able to put their finger on, here's, this, here's the this condition of my sinful heart that, that created the, the environment in which I thought that that was a good solution. They may not be able to articulate that. It may depend on their age as to how they are able to articulate that. It may depend on their maturity. Now compare asking, why did you hit your sister to, what were you thinking or what were you feeling right before you hit your sister? And now you're going to get some backstory about what happened. So it's, I'm assuming it was an unprovoked incident, but maybe it was provoked. You know, and it may be like, well, you know, she called me a cotton-headed ninny-muggins, you know? She called me a name. Well, that hurt my pride. Okay, so we're, we're starting to unpack it. Now we're starting to get a feel for what's going on. It doesn't make the action valid, but we can deal with it better. The, the last section of the materials we're not going to take time to go through, it's discipline using training objectives. So setting objectives, this is what we want to accomplish for our kids that are in this age group, and some discipline procedures to go along with that age group. This really is the second half of the Shepherding a Child's Heart book. And, and so I, you know, we, we can't cover the second half of a, a book, even in a whole class. But I would really commend that to you because I think it's very thoughtful and well done. Um, and I think there's a lot of benefit to it. Um, another resource I meant to, to bring this out earlier. I didn't show you this one yet, but I so Teach Them Diligently by Luke Triello. This is an excellent book as well. I, I think if... I, I would still say if there was one book that I was going to read, it would be Shepherding a Child's Heart. And I know sometimes you get overloaded with too many books, but um, I'd encourage you maybe read a parenting book a year, you know, and getting a different perspective on it. And as kids grow and change and family grows and changes, um, you know, being refreshed on those kind of things would be helpful. All right. So I think we have about three minutes for additional questions. I tried to address a few of them during the course of, of the, um, the class. Uh, but a couple of, uh, uh, so we'll just take, take them like in the order I wrote them down. So, and, and if I don't get to your, your question, I'm sorry, I, I would love to have a conversation about them if you, if you have a question that, that we didn't get to. Um, 
So one question was, when does parenting stop? And I, I would say parenting stops when you go to heaven. <laughs> because even as my children are adults now, there's still lots of parenting moments. Those parenting moments are not correction and discipline. They're more coaching and counseling and advice. Um, but the, the parenting relationship goes on and on. And it's, it, it only gets better as the kids get older because you can have a different relationship with them. Um, I think the maybe the question I was really getting at, you know, at what stage do you stop exerting authority over them? And I would say if they're in your house, they're under your authority. And if they are dependent on you, then I think it's different than if they are out of your house and not dependent on you. Another question is, when do we not have the final say? I think this is really a, a question that's connected to the previous one. And it really depends on the situation. I think if the, 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 your child's still under your roof, <coughs> excuse me, then I think you still have the ability to, to dictate what the final answer is on things. So, you know, if you have a 21 year old living in your house still, or 26, <laughs> you know, I think you, I think you have some, some authority because it's, this is your house and, and you still have a responsibility with that child. That's a really good question. How do you how do you balance correction with behavior modification? In other words, raising godly kids versus just moral kids. Is there a way to evaluate whether you're on the right track? So I was thinking way back to I think the first lesson, and I had talked about behavior modification is not the goal. And I, I may have glossed over this a little bit, but behavior modification is something we want. You know, we want little Luke to get off the couch and clean. The garage. We we want little Lucy to stop dropping her bowl of oatmeal on the floor. Um, so behavior modification is something we want. It's just that is not the pinnacle. That is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to get to their heart so that they are obeying because they want to please God. So correction needs to involve involve behavior modification, and sometimes behavior modification is going to be front and center, and it has to be addressed. And the heart modification is something that will follow. So sometimes the, the behavior modification occurs and that provides an opportunity for heart modification. I know Lisa, especially you know, being a stay-at-home mom when the kids were little, had a lot of those kind of heart opportunities after a behavior modification event <laughs> happened. And those are things that we should we should embrace. So from an evaluation standpoint, um, it's really hard. It's really hard to, to know, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? Am I spanking at the right time? Is it enough correction? Is it too much correction? It is difficult. You know, God has an advantage. He looks on the heart and we look on the outward appearance. And so we need to inspect the fruit of what's going on. And I would say more than anything, we need to be pursuing God in prayer. You know, pursuing our relationship with God. You know, one thing we didn't spend really any time on in this class, and, and it's really a major point I should have spent time on, it, is praying for our kids. I mean, in developing a way that we pray for our kids that brings them before God's throne on a continual basis, and that will help to change our hearts as well as um, benefiting them by having the Lord work. So sorry to not get to more 
more questions than that. Um, but as I said, happy to take those. So let me just pray in closing and we'll be finished. Father, we come before you as your, your children. So glad that you're a loving Heavenly Father and we know that you discipline us because you love us and we love our children. We desire for them to know and love you. I pray that you just help each of these parents to dedicate them to you, to raise children that will glorify you in their lives. We ask for our children that they would come to know you at an early age, and that they would put you first in their lives, that they would desire to please you by obeying their parents. We ask all of this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.